Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science in the City, the public gateway of the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceinthecity.org. Today is Friday, May 2nd, 2008. I'm Alana Rangi. Are you tired of the choices in your fridge? Think your food sources are limited to your local grocery store and that pizza place down the street? Think again. Meet wild man Steve Brill, a New York naturalist who's been foraging in urban green spaces like Central Park for over 26 years. I met up with the wild man in Central Park for one of his world-famous wild food and ecology tours in April. In this week's podcast, here's some of the surprising edible finds of the day. Learn about the science behind foraging for food, and as a bonus, hear a couple of wild man adventures for a little spice. No pun intended, of course. Okay, so we're still waiting for uh, uh, about half a dozen people. Anyone who I didn't call? My name is Wildman Steve Brill, otherwise known as the man who ate Central Park. We're doing a foraging tour. We're going to hunt for some of the renewable resources that people remove from their gardens and yards as weeds that humans have been using for food and home remedies for thousands of years. We're going to learn how to identify them. You can eat any plant once, but you may not be alive to eat it twice. And uh, how to harvest it ecologically and safely, and what to do with it. There are some delicious recipes you can make that are full of nutrients, phytochemicals, etc., and they taste really good. Okay, I'd like everyone's attention. We're going to begin. It's a large group, so please uh, come out. Let the people go through. Come over. So now we see all the plants. They have uh, key identifying characteristics that stays the same for long periods of time, and that's what you want to focus on to do your identification. You check out the flowers. How many petals does it have? What's the relationship between the petals and the rest of the plant? How many stamens and pistils? And then you compare that to other plants. That's what we learned from Linnaeus. 300 years ago, and we still basically use that today. Of course, you can also check the DNA, and uh, there's an easy way to do to do a DNA test in the field. You know, you have the plant pull down its genes. Plant identification and anything else we can discover about them, science behind the plant, scientific ways of identifying the plants, folklore, mythology, nutritional information. So you'll get a chance uh, to do uh, to learn that also, and we'll have a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to go through the northern part of the park, come back around here, have our lunch break, and then uh, then head further south. It's early spring. Uh, this is an excellent time. It's actually early spring. The first generation of plants are all up, and there are other plants that are going to be coming up when the weather is warmer. Some of these plants take advantage of the fact that there are no leaves on the trees and there are no taller plants shading them out. So they grow low to the ground, they spread out, and they do their thing and go to seed before the main season really gets going. Many of them are foreign so-called weeds and quite delicious, as you'll see. Okay, let's uh, go see what we can find. Everyone walk this way. My favorite spring delicacy is the common blue violet. The leaves are delicious. They're sort of mild with a bite afterwards. The flower is wonderful, too. And I named my four-year-old uh, daughter when she was born Violet. Okay, everyone come over here. We have our first species to look at. And I'm not going to tell you what this is yet, because I want to have you use your sense of smell and see if you can figure out what it smells like. First of all, who remembers what I call the formation where the leaves are coming out in a circle? Basal rosette. But then there's also a flower stalk coming up in the middle. So this plant has been around for a while. It had the basal rosette, and this flower stalk will go up about three feet. Now, Linnaeus taught us 
to put plants in the same category uh, depending on the structure of the flowers and the seeds, which remain stable much longer than the leaves as uh, species evolve. The leaves have to adjust to the immediate conditions. If a plant has four petals, it's not suddenly going to switch to five petals on the flower, not going to really attract more insects or have much survival impact. So the formation of the flowers and seeds remain stable. Here is the flower bud. What vegetable does this look like? Broccoli. Yes, it's in the brassica family, as is broccoli. Uh, what I want you to do now is crush these heart-shaped, blunt-toothed leaves and see what culinary vegetable they smell like, culinary herb. Pass some out. Garlicky. Gar who said garlicky? You got it right. The plant is called garlic mustard. It's a member of the mustard family, the brassica, that protects itself from insects by smelling and tasting like garlic. It's a very good defense, unless Italian insects find it, then it goes extinct. In fact, I've been, I'm an environmentalist. I recycle all my jokes, but I've been telling this joke for 26 years, and it turns out this plant is invasive. It's European. It doesn't have any enemies here. And after 26 years, scientists have caught up with my joke, and they are actually going to import a European weevil, which is being tested to make sure it doesn't eat any plants that it shouldn't eat, and turn it loose to get rid of some of the garlic mustard because there's too much of it around. It secretes herbicides that kills other plants, and it also secretes fungicides so that it kills the fungi in the soil that support tree growth. So this is not good for the environment, but it is very good for the palate. Who wants to try some? So you basically use this in recipes where you want a garlic flavor. You put this in a food processor with the olive oil, walnuts or pinola nuts, commercial garlic, salt and pepper, basil and parsley. You have the best pesto you've ever had in your life. Back in 1986, I was looking for wild plants, and there were two plants on my tour, undercover park rangers disguised as nature lovers. The New York City Parks Commissioner, a man by the name of Henry Stern, didn't like that I was teaching people about wild edible plants. There's this wild man in Central Park. He's a hairy fellow with a beard and a pith hat, and he's going into Central Park and eating the dandelions. We can't have someone going into Central Park and eating the dandelions. Lines. It's like going into the Central Park Zoo and eating a bear cub. The park was full of wild plants, and every time I found a specimen and held it up, the man would take a picture, only I was the specimen. At the end of the nature tour, I showed people that early in the spring, before the flowers come up and it gets bitter, you can eat the leaves of the dandelion. I ate one leaf of the dandelion. The male ranger took out a hidden walkie-talkie. All right, there he is on 81st Street. Go get him. Every park ranger in New York City popped out from behind the bushes. They surrounded me in case I was going to climb up a tree. Put me in handcuffs lest I bop them on the head with a dandelion. But they hauled me off to the police station where they took fingerprints and mugshots. They searched my backpack, too. Fortunately, I'd eaten all the evidence. And then they made a bad mistake. They gave me a desk appearance ticket that said I was charged with criminal mischief for removing vegetation from the park because I ate the dandelion and let me go. I went right to the telephone and notified the press. Next day on the way to the newsstand, five cops came after me. They all wanted my autograph. When they took me to court, I served Wild Man's five-borough salad on the steps of the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse to reporters and passers-by. 
And then the Parks Commissioner turned over a new leaf, negotiated with me, dropped the charges, and hired me to lead the same foraging tours I was leading when I was arrested. And getting arrested was definitely the best thing that ever happened to me in Central Park. This is called chickweed. It has opposite leaves, leaves in pairs, tiny little hairs on the side of the stem, and a white flower. Here's the flower. And this is related to a carnation. Think of the gangster movies where they wear a carnation in the lapel. This looks very similar, except smaller. Five petals cleft in half, so it looks like ten. And the plant is called chickweed, because if I were a chicken, I would eat this. Uh, this tastes like corn in the cob here. Would you like to try? You should eat this even if you're afraid, because if you're afraid, that means you're chicken, and chickens love chickweed. It is incredibly nutritious. Back in the day when medical doctors were treating people by bleeding them, herbalists used to give convalescence chickweed. It turns out it has more vitamins than a health food store. It's in a salad. You can cook it. One thing I love to do with chickweed, I get a whole bunch of it, wash it off, chop it into bite-sized pieces, shake off the extra water, and put it into a heavy pot. Cover the pot with a lid, turn the heat on low, and the chickweed steams just in the liquid that clings to the leaves. While it's cooking, I'll sauté some garlic and olive oil, and when the chickweed is wilted in about five minutes, add the garlic, olive oil, and some tamari soy sauce, and it's one of the best cooked vegetable dishes you've ever had. Stellaria medea common chickweed. Stellaria because the flower looks like a star. Well, this was a hobby for me. Gradually, I got more and more interested in food and cooking at a time that I was exploring various ethnic stores in Queens, experimenting with ingredients. I was bicycle riding past Cunningham Park. There were these ethnic Greek women dressed in black picking something. And since I was doing all this exploration with food, especially natural foods, I stopped and asked them what they were doing. Couldn't understand a word. It was all Greek to me. But I came home with a bag of grape leaves, which I stuffed, and they were delicious. I went back in the fall, and the park was festooned with fox grapes, which are the wild forerunners of Concord grapes. Not quite as sweet, but very flavorful. Cooked, thickened, and sweetened, they are incredible. I started getting books and discovered that the authors of the books didn't cook, so a lot of the information was wrong, and I did my own experiments in the kitchen to determine what really works. I was meditating. The name Wild Man came into my brain, and I said, this is the name I'm going to use. And I started leading tours back in 1982. And after I got arrested, the tours became very popular. So I've been doing that ever since. I work with the public. I work with school classes, day camps. I try to teach people to appreciate our overlooked renewable resources and protect the non-renewable resources that are so imperiled on our planet. And I have a lot of fun doing this. Here's our next species, Polygonum cuspidatum, otherwise known as Japanese knotweed. Has these knots on the stem. Do you see them or not? Triangular leaves, not serrated. The stem is green, and it has white flecks on it. And you can peel it or not. It is knotweed. And see what it tastes like. Better cooked than raw, but you can try it raw. What flavor are you getting? The fatter ones are the best. Sour. Sour, yeah. So if you're cooking, you mix sour things with sweet things. Put a little of this in a pie or a compote with fruit, and it enhances the flavor of the fruit. It's related to rhubarb. 
I've never read anything about toxicity in the leaves, but because of the association with rhubarb, I have not tried the leaf and do not want to. It's the stem that you use. Now, this is an incredible source of resveratrol. Who knows what resveratrol is? It's in red wine. Right? It's in red wine. It's supposed to lower the bad cholesterol and reduce your chance of getting a heart attack. I'd like to find somewhere where there... Oh, over there, I see dead stems. Though There must be fatter ones over there. Let's, let's move down this way. This is last year's plant, and out of the roots are coming the new ones. And look, there's much more substance to these fat ones than to the skinny ones, so you get more rhubarb per uh, handful. See, same, look at the stem. It's in the buckwheat family. Polygonum means many knees and refers to the joints. And the flowers will look similar to uh, buckwheat and rhubarb. Also, a very good source of vitamin C. And if you, you break this just right, it has to be quite even. You can make a whistle out of it. And, of course, varying lengths... Uh, strung together will give you a pan pipe. Okay, come on over, everyone. We have the most delicious tree in the park. Okay, this is called the black birch. How would you characterize the bark? Especially look at some other trees and the texture. How's the texture of these black birches different from stuff you see behind you? Smooth, okay. And it has horizontal lenticels. These allow oxygen to get in to the underlying tissues. And what about the color? Yeah, it's supposed to be gray, but it has a little bit of reddish in it. Yeah, burgundy would be a good description. And here's the twig. The leaves are alternate. That means in ones. What plant did we see that had opposite leaves, leaves in twos? Chickweed. So this has alternate leaves, and it has buds with a burgundy color and green poking through. And now, those of you who know this, don't say anything. People who are new to this, Chew on it and tell me what flavor. You don't swallow this, but you chew on it. What flavor are you getting? Wintergreen. Oh, winter she got it. It contains oil of wintergreen. We didn't get it. Otherwise known as methyl salicylate. Now, methyl salicylate has quite a, uh, has quite a history. First of all, it's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Anyone know what that means? Like aspirin. This is the chemical forerunner of aspirin. People used to make tea of willow for pain, which also contains methyl salicylate. And in the 19th century, chemists were able to make a concentrate of the methyl salicylate. So instead of making a lot of tea and having to drink quite a few cups of it from willow bark tea, or this is what the Native Americans used for pain, they had a concentrate called methyl salicylate. And if you overdose on that, it kills you. So a man by the name of Bear fooled around with the chemistry and invented aspirin. So that's where aspirin comes from. Aspirin does have some negative effects for some people. It messes up their digestive system. If you want to interfere with platelets starting blood clots in your cardiovascular system to reduce your risk of heart attack, you could have a few cups of methyl salicylate black birch tea every day without the risk of affecting your digestive system. One place where this really shines is when you are way too delicate to take aspirin, but you have a lot of pain. And this would be when you're one year old. What pain do people get when they're one? Teething. teething. I gave this to my daughter, Violet, when she was teething. 
The dosage is very low, so no danger at all. It tastes good. It goes right to where the pain is. And babies are much more sensitive to drugs and pharmaceutical actions than older kids. So this worked. I gave her this to chew on. When they're teething, they like to chew on things. And if it tastes good, they'll especially want to chew on it. And the layer underneath, the green layer under the bark surrounding the wood, surrounding the xylem and phloem, this green layer is called the cambium. That's where the living cells are, and that's where all the flavor comes from. This was developed by the hunter-gatherers. The shaman would use a pretty scientific method of taking a small amount of the plant, putting it in hot water. First, she or he would follow the plant throughout the seasons and compare it to other plants, just like botanists do with comparative botany today. Then try a little bit in tea, take a sip of the tea, and spit it out, and then sit there and meditate. Uh, of course, part of this is the religious practice. You're communicating with the plant spirits. You're still focusing inwardly and seeing what kind of results you're getting. Do you feel a little more energetic? Does your stomach feel queasy? Did the headache you were getting go away? And gradually, they would increase the dosage, maybe uh, a swallow a sip of the tea the, the next time, two weeks later, take a bite of the leaf, spit it out, try different parts of the plant at different times of the year, very, very cautiously. And, of course, instead of having the Internet, they had developed memories so that in slow seasons, like in the winter, you'd be exchanging stories and information and memorizing everything that we go online for. So people in these non-technological cultures had trained their memories to be way better than modern people, so they would have a reference base in comparisons with other plants. So this isn't true science, but it comes about as close as you can get. And that's how the knowledge of the plants was developed. <laughs> Common plantain, very important medicinal plant. Take a look at this. It's again in a basal rosette. This stays in a basal rosette all year. It has a flower that looks like a tall green pencil. It gets about maybe one and a half, two feet tall. And the leaves get about eight, ten inches long. They're always oval and they have these ribs. The veins are parallel, so it looks like it has ribs. It grows in sunny areas. Let's say uh, there's a mosquito. Bzzz. Oh, it got him. Poor kid. He has a bad bite. He's itching to death. We got to do something. Help. Call 911. <laughs> you take the common plantain, you mash it up, you rub it on the bite every few minutes, and it heals the bite. If you Google this, uh, Plantago Major, there's like uh, over a dozen biologically active chemicals in it hasn't really been experimented with scientifically, but I, the mosquitoes love me, and I've used this hundreds and hundreds of times, and it always works. You have to use it right away and keep applying it repeatedly for 15 minutes, and the mosquito bite will be cured. It's been used traditionally in European cultures going back to the ancient Greeks for everything from sunburn to bleeding. As a matter of fact, there were two brothers, and one of the brothers got a cut on his finger. The other brother said, here, take this leaf, wrap it around your finger, hold it really tight. It worked so well that the two brothers were inspired to invent something that made them millionaires. What did they invent? The Band-Aid. And what were the two brothers' names? Johnson and Johnson. That inspired Johnson and Johnson to start with uh, over-the-counter remedies so that people then forgot all the herbs that they had been using. <laughs>
I want to tell New Yorkers that Central Park is one of the most delicious things in the world to eat. Once you try some of the wild plants from garlic mustard to Japanese knotweed to chickweed, you'll be convinced. To find out about all that's happening at the intersection of science and culture, visit our website at scienceandthecity.org. 